2: Whatever kind of night you're having, start it off right with Drizzly,
1: the go-to app for drink delivery. Whether you're mixing up a bullet bourbon old-fashioned for a cozy night in, or Kettle One Bloody Mary bar for a birthday brunch, you can get the perfect beer, wine, and spirits for any occasion delivered with Drizzly. So, what's it gonna be? Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com to choose your drinks today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations.
2: For the ones who get it done.
1: And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started.
2: Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And it is the day before opening day here on March 31st. Uh, tomorrow, the Orioles will open the season at Fenway Park against the Boston Red Sox uh, with opening day at home uh, coming on April 8th. So on today's show, we're going to talk about our predictions for the regular season. As you know, we love to make predictions on this show. Um, and the predictions for this episode are going to be focused on On the major league season, but with a bend towards some of the younger players that we expect to see, we'll also get into who we think will lead the team in certain categories. And of course, you can't get through predictions without predicting the World Series. So we will do that. In addition, we're going to run down uh, a transaction that occurred at the end of spring that has led to a surprising opening in the Orioles' starting lineup. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One, Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, thank Mercer. Um, Over the weekend, the Orioles made a move that kind of came as a surprise, I think, to a lot of fans and a lot of observers of the team. Uh, They picked up Adam Plutko from the Cleveland Indians uh, in a move that gives them an extra-long reliever going into the regular season. Um, In the process, though, in order to clear a 40-man roster spot, for Plutco, they designated Yolmer Sanchez for assignment. Sanchez ultimately cleared waivers and has been released. Um, all throughout the offseason and for most of spring training, Sanchez, who was a waiver pickup uh, back in the fall, had been expected to be the starting second baseman uh, on the opening day for the Orioles and probably demand a position for most of the year. But now he's no longer in the organization. And even uh, less than 24 hours from opening day, we're still not really sure – how things are going to shake out at second base and just who the Orioles are going to go with. So I'll start with Nick. Uh, I guess really a twofold reaction here, first to the pickup of Adam Plutko and then to the loss of Yomar Sanchez.
1: I mean, with Plutko, I mean, he's an arm. Right. Michael, I said, I think it was after one of the last spring training games uh, that every pitcher, if you're on the 40-man roster, you're going to see time on the mound this year, plus some other arms. So that's exciting for us, guys that follow the minor leagues, getting to see Guys, not just Zach Lothar, Alex Wells, Michael Bauman, but maybe some other guys. Um, and I think it also means if you're like a fringe roster guy on another team and you have starting experience, like if you get DFA, don't worry, like Michael Ice is probably going to swoop in and, and grab you up. But I mean, Plutko, just looking at some of his numbers that I pulled up. Um, 217 big league innings, and a 505 career ERA and a 5.57 FIP. So not great. The strikeouts really aren't there, but if you look at his zips, uh, the Fangraphs projections have him at 110 innings, about seven Ks per game, and a 5.39 ERA at a .7 wins above replacement value. So I think if he sticks around long enough and puts up those kind of numbers, you really can't complain. Um, I know right, right after the signing, I found the store on MLB.com. Mandy Ball, who covers Cleveland over there. Uh, Mandy noted that Plutko actually ditched his slider, even though if you look him up on Baseball Savant, it still has it as a slider, even though he said it was a cutter for the last year or so. But he learned to bring the slider back from Shane Bieber and talked with him. I mean, I can't think of anybody else better in the American League, really, to talk about bringing a new pitch back. But maybe it's something. It's a step. But for right now, he had a really good spring, 11 strikeouts and nine innings. Uh, only walk two, take those for what you will, but he's an arm. We'll see how long he lasts. Uh, with Sanchez, you know, it was, it was definitely shocking, uh, but after a weekend of, like, the Rio Ruiz, Veleca, and Sanchez debates on, on Twitter and stuff, like, I just I just don't care anymore. <laughs> like, I'm just – hopefully we get a serviceable option from Jemaya Jones, Ryland Bannon, maybe Richie Martin even at some point. But I guess my guess is just that the Orioles didn't like what they saw out of Sanchez defensively and so they felt like if you can put somebody else there who has about the same defensive value but better offense why not go with that so i don't know we'll see in a few weeks who takes over full-time duties but oh well yeah i'll start with
0: the the yomar sanchez part of it too it's just i don't understand the vitriol that the orioles were getting for letting him go yeah they signed him with him being the starting second baseman in mind but to me this is a guy who only played a handful of games at the major league level last year he wasn't hitting a lick in spring training and I saw him make an error in the who knows two or three games that I actually got to see on TV so it maybe it just wasn't working out for them and they took a flyer on Putko who you know he's he's had some solid outings and maybe they've been scouting him this spring and saw something they liked and they pounced when they realized Cleveland was not going to have room for him he can start out as a long man in the bullpen maybe get a few spot starts if he and just take it from there. Like Nick said, we're going to need innings, and he can provide some. So why not? I think we're going to go through a lot of names this year. So,
2: The innings really are going to be key, and I think the fact that Plutko is a guy who can come out of the bullpen and give you multiple innings is one of the reasons why the Orioles went with him. Um, as for Sanchez, you know, I, I've been kind of trying to wrestle with that in my head since the move happened because – I think I pretty much figured, like most people who follow the Orioles, that Sanchez would be the starting second baseman on opening day and would probably have the job for, you know, a good chunk of the season before we started looking at a Jamiah Jones or a Ryland Bannon or you know Ramon Urias maybe hitting well in limited time to take it over. But like Nick said, I just have to think that maybe the Orioles didn't entirely like what they saw defensively um, because you know what he is as a hitter. And he didn't have a good spring training, but you also didn't bring him in because of his bat. So there had to be a little bit with the defense that gave them pause. And I think it's apparent that the offensive upside is higher with Pat Vileka and Ramon Urias than it is with Yolmer Sanchez. Is the glove going to be as good? In Vileka's case, definitely not. In Urias' case, maybe not. Um, But then this also does give them a little bit more flexibility, probably, in terms of how they handle Rio Ruiz. You know, if they want to give Ruiz um, more of a shot while keeping Michael Franco in the lineup, this is your opportunity. Slide Ruiz over to second base. See what the move does for him. Um, if that's something they want to experiment with, I'm fine with that. Personally, if I had to pick who I think should get the most at-bats for now, I would go with Urias. Just because I think we've seen the least with him. And I want to see what he can do with the plate a little bit more. But if they want to move around those three guys for the time being, that's fine. And I think that uh, something that we'll talk about later on in the show and something we could see later this summer is dudes in my or Rylan Ryland Bannon take over the position, maybe around the all-star break. Yeah, there's
1: definitely options there. And, I mentioned, Richie Martin as well. I think maybe I'm one of the few people who still thinks that he could be a decent backup option. Uh, you know, and but he's still there. He's healthy. He looks healthy. It looks like uh, got in a few at bats there at the end of spring. So we'll see what he does. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, never mind. I was going to say it'll be interesting to see what the Norfolk lineup is like. But we're still a month away from minor league baseball. So so much for that. Never mind. Mason McCoy's eyebrow <laughs>
0: raised just a little bit when they got rid <laughs> of Omar Sanchez. Poor Mason. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I feel so bad for that guy. He's
0: never going to get a shot.
2: I know. It's a shame. It is. Yeah, middle infield depth at the top of the system has gotten so crowded. I mean, you know, maybe the quality is not there for a lot of people, but the quantity certainly is. And when you get rid of the guy who's supposed, who was expected to be your starting second baseman less than a week before opening day, and you have all of these players still lingering as options, it says something about your depth. And that's sort of where McCoy is getting squeezed out, I think. Yeah,
0: for
2: sure. So as we uh, mentioned earlier, this is a predictions episode. And as you know, if you've been listening on the Verds since we started last year, we love predictions episodes. And one of the things we're really looking forward to in 2021 is that we will probably do uh, several predictions episodes. In fact, this is our second one uh, this year. We did one before spring training. And our rule for ourselves is that if we're going to do a new prediction so We have to recap our last prediction to see what we got right and more likely the large number of stuff that we got wrong. Uh, Bob went back and listened to our show in February where we made predictions for spring training. We know the results of uh, pretty much all of those predictions now. I'm going to let him read off uh, how our predictions went.
0: Yeah, first of all, it was an entertaining show. Uh, People should subscribe and listen to this podcast. Not too bad. But uh, yeah, the predictions, I started things off and said that the DH will be institute, instituted in the NL and playoffs will be expanded at the last second. And I'm not giving up hope on that just yet. We still have less than 24 hours for that,
1: but it, it could happen. Stranger things have happened. I believe they're talking about it tonight. It could happen tonight. Wow. I'm seeing some rumblings. So oh, we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> And then the first real predictions
0: uh, was how many pitchers will be in the opening day rotation and who will be, who will they be and what order. We all predicted six-man rotations, so we've got to take ownership and say we were wrong in that regard. But Nick kicked things off and he said, well, we all picked John Means as number one. Nick had Kramer, two, King Felix, three, Keegan Aiken, four, Jorge Lopez, five, and Matt Harvey, six. I had Means, Kramer, King Felix, Aiken, Harvey, and then Bruce Zimmerman. actually called that, which is surprising. And Zach had Means, King Felix, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, Jorge Lopez, and Wade LeBlanc. We were all wrong on uh, King Felix, and we guess we should get to that point in the news as well, right, Zach?
2: Yeah, King Felix uh, no longer with the organization after an elbow injury kind of stalled his progress at the end of camp. Uh, for most of spring training, it looks like he was going to be in the Orioles' rotation somewhere. That 85-mile-an-hour fastball, you know, it looks like he might still be somewhat effective with it. But um, ended up uh, having an elbow issue, didn't make the roster. I, I guess from those predictions, the one that stands out to me the most is Aiken not making the roster. He really struggled in camp, and Bob actually wrote about this this week on the site uh, for his three-up, three-down column, the first one of the year, and I think the thing that you really hit the nail on the head with, uh, as far as Aiken was concerned, was the walks.
0: Yeah, he just could not find his command at all this entire, even when he wasn't walking people, he was having deep counts, 3-2 count, 2-2 count. You know, he just was having 25-30 pitch innings quite frequently, so I think You know, just having that alternate site the first month of the season, give him him a chance to just find his legs, find his arm, like just find that command. I mean, he's never had great command, but it's been better than this. And hopefully he can iron that out and get back to the major leagues before too long.
1: Yeah, the the walks have been an issue since he was at Western Michigan, and that's not going to change with Keegan Aiken. So but he definitely that wasn't the Keegan Aiken that like you saw him struggle sometimes in Norfolk. 2019 uh, where he has bad outing but he might put together a good inning in that outing or he's going to come out the next day or the next five days later and put up a good outing this was he looked just different something was off there so I think it maybe says more that the Orioles are going to go ahead and put him in the alternate site and let him work that out instead of just saying stick in the rotation figure it out versus Boston and New York so I think maybe that that means they still view him as a future rotation piece let we'll to see about that
2: Before we get to the next uh, prediction recap, I I do think we should give Bruce Zimmerman a shout out. He had a great camp, and I know we talked about this with Alex Fast a couple weeks ago, but uh, Bruce Zimmerman really earned that roster spot the way he pitched.
0: Yeah, he kind of laid an egg at the last, you know, start of the spring training. But, I mean, I think those guys were ready to head on north, and he was probably kind of had a letdown just from getting the news that he'd be the third starter. So I'm not going to take too much from it. But, yeah, he did great in camp and really earned his spot. I've got some
1: high praise for him later on the show. Don't worry.
0: (laughs) All right. So our next one is pleasant surprise and biggest disappointment of the spring. Zach said the biggest surprise would be Jemai Jones. And the biggest disappointment would be Chris Davis. Nick said the biggest surprise would be Austin Hayes. Ding, ding, ding. And biggest disappointment would be DJ Stewart. Correct. When it at least comes to the, Injury front, and I said that Yusniel Diaz would be the biggest surprise and Cedric Mullins would be the
1: biggest disappointment, and I was dead wrong about that. Hayes was nice. It was nice to see Hayes break out in spring, Uh, and it's good that Cedric Mullins wasn't a disappointment, and now Cedric Mullins is right there in the middle of all the lineup discussions, so I'm excited for him. Never been happier to be wrong. (laughs)
0: Let's see. Then starting outfield we predicted – and we all started with the same Mount Castle, Hayes, Santander. That's probably going to be right, more or less, for opening day. And then we also predicted the end of the season, and we were a little bit different. You guys said Diaz will be in left, Hayes in center, and Santander in right. I said Mount Castle in left, Hayes in center, and used Neil Diaz in right field.
1: I it's guess- We'll see, yeah. Uh, they didn't work Mount Castle at first base at all later in the spring training, so I think I think that is going to be the outfielder. Maybe Santander DH's opening day, I guess, with that oblique. I don't know, but I think that outfield's pretty set. All right, next
0: we had, how many bench spots will there be, and who will fill them? Zach had, cha- we all had San Francisco. That was pretty obvious. So we all had... I did not have Mullins. Don't oh, yeah, I thought it would be a disappointment, so I guess I thought he would start in the alternate site. You guys had M- Mullins and Pat Vileka, so pretty spot on. I said Chris Davis and Jemai Jones, so I couldn't be more wrong.
2: Yeah, I think the only reason I didn't have Chris Davis was because I thought he might be the DH on opening day. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was the only reason I didn't have Davis on there.
0: Yeah, no one saw the uh, two at-bats and 60-day IL stint coming, I guess. Now, the next question will also lead to a bit of news, but uh, we said, will the Rule 5 picks make the roster? And you guys said, nope, neither of them will. I said, only Tyler Wells. Well, turns out, they both made it.
2: Yeah.
1: I was going to say, Zach wrote the piece on com, so...
2: Yeah, I, I wrote a piece on BaltimoreSportsandLife.com yesterday talking about this. Wells had an excellent spring. I you know, I think with, with 12 strikeouts and in nine innings, tells you a lot about how effective he was. Um, struck out John Carlos Stinn on a 95-mile-an-hour fastball last weekend. So the velocity was there. The strikeouts were there. So Roller was a little bit more of a surprise because at first glance his numbers weren't that impressive. But he had one brutal outing. Uh, against Toronto early in March, and then after that was pretty effective. So I think the Orioles, uh, in watching those two guys, saw two pitchers who got better as camp progressed and who handled an increasing workload um, as we saw spring training wind down and head head into the regular season. Whether they're both going to stick on the Major League roster all year, I don't know, but I think they've set themselves up nicely to be part of the solution in the bullpen as guys that can get multiple innings, each outing.
1: Yeah, I was still shocked by Sorolla just because you look on baseball reference and his opponent quality was high. A was a level of competition he faced in spring training and the strikeouts weren't there. He only had like two or three strikeouts. And that to me is a red flag. I'm worried about that. But I mean, I guess for right now, to put him on, see what he does in, in his first week or so of the season uh, with Sean Armstrong on paternity leave. So he's not on the roster right now. There's space on the roster right now for him to give him a few outings and see what happens, but that was definitely shocking, I think.
0: Yeah, who was the guy that also was a Rule 5 pick when Richie Martin got taken? It was uh, the guy from the Dodgers. Oh, uh,
2: Drew Jackson, I believe. Jackson.
0: I think Max Roller is going to be the Drew Jackson of 2021 and Tyler Wells will be the Richie Martin. But uh, especially that last outing, I thought Tyler Wells was just magical on the mound. I mean, he looked great. All right, so I guess we'll go on to the next one. Uh, Will Zach Pop and or Gray Fenter come back to the Orioles? Uh, Me and Zach both said only Gray Fenter will come back. Well, that part's already out of the way. And Nick said they'll both come back, and I'm really hoping that's true at some point. It's a long season. (laughs) True. Longer than last year. Let's see. Any notable transactions before opening day? And there certainly turned out to be between Adam Plutko, uh, Michael Franco and that's pretty much it. Nick said maybe a minor league signing for a pitcher. Zach said maybe a minor league signing for a pitcher but basically no and I said a minor pitching signing if one or both of the Rule 5 guys are returned to their teams respectfully.
1: We didn't see the uh, the stuff coming. There's still a few hours before we take on Boston and Odor is will be out there shortly. So TBD.
0: Will Adley Rutschman start in AAA? We could probably still predict that question, but we all said no. I think we all assumed he'll start at AA and then work his way up from there. Not too much to say. Will we get a Dustin Knight backflip, a Mickey Janice knuckleball, or a Ryan Ripken at bat in 2021? I said no to Dustin Knight, yes to Mickey Janice, and no to Ryan Ripken, Zach said the same exact thing. And Nick, for whatever reason, never answered the question. We might have just got sidetracked there. Mickey
1: Janus got a shout out uh, on uh, Effectively Wild podcast today. They finished up their season preview series. They had Joe Trezza on. And at the very end, Mickey Janus got a shout out. I think that probably explains more about the study of the Orioles, that he is a talking point on that podcast. But, uh, hey, I mean, I, I want to see Nicky, Mickey Janus out there. Let's Let's give us something to watch
0: yeah, I listened to that today, too. That was that, that was interesting. A lot of dunking on the Orioles as usual, but still a good yeah. uh, interview with Joe Treza. And, yeah, uh, I think the Orioles' Twitter account has no one to blame but themselves for the Mickey Janus attention. Uh, will the Orioles still be the media's punching bag? I think we just we know the answer to that. It's yes. What position would we be surprised by the starter on opening day? Me and Zach said, third base, and Nick said Cesar Valdez in the starting rotation. Could still happen. Could still happen. But I think we were pretty spot on with Rio Ruiz there, Zach.
2: Yeah, and I think really there's two correct answers to this question. Now third base and second base have the potential to be surprises. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but third base, I think Bob, you and I got that right, and who knows? Maybe Valdez is in the rotation. Stranger things have happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, he certainly pitched pretty good in the spring. And the last question will was, will the Hill Orioles have a set closer by the end of camp? Um, I said there will be a committee led by Tanner Scott. Nick said a committee with Tanner Scott in most high leverage spots and Zach said a split between Scott and Valdez until Valdez is traded. Interesting.
1: I think that's what they're going to do. I don't think we're going to have a set closer. Some other teams I think are leaning towards that situation. I, I think the word closer, I think, is a term most people should probably just go ahead and stop avoiding. Think to be, t- But that's, that's a whole other podcast episode, I think.
0: Yeah, I think maybe Fantasy League should soon switch to save slash hold, combine those. Yeah.
2: Yeah, agreed. Well, Bob, you're the commissioner of our <laughs> Fantasy League. Can't you make that happen?
0: Propose it for next year, and <laughs> we'll see. <laughs>
2: All right, so those were our last predictions. And now we will get into our predictions for the 2021 season. And I'm going to start with a question that we also predicted last year, which is, will any Orioles, note the emphasis on the plural, will any Orioles finish in the top three of rookie of the year voting? And if so, who will they be? I'm going to start with Bob on this one.
0: I think, yeah, for sure, we'll have at least one. I mean, we have a decent amount of options here between Mountcastle, Kramer, even Aiken, despite starting on the alternate site, and Bruce Zimmerman, who made it into the rotation. I said that Mountcastle is going to win the award this year. I think Wanda Franco is going to make a late push, but I think he'll get started a little bit late Mount Mountcastle's numbers will be a little bit too much to overturn. And then I think Dean Kramer will finish third. So I think we'll have two Orioles
1: in the top three. That would be awesome. Um, I'm... Taking my orange colored glasses off when I say this and when I also say that Ryan Mountcastle is my winner for Rookie of the Year, I think uh, if Jared Kelnick comes up as Bob holds up the Mountcastle jersey. Uh, if Jared Kelnick comes up soon, I think he's going to be a favorite. Uh, he's really exciting to watch. Um, I'm pretty sure that's why I followed the Seattle Mariners player development Twitter account, which every other MLB team should take note of and copy Uh I think a lot of other people might have Randy Rosarena uh, from Tampa Bay as their early favorite, but I'm hesitant to buy high on him. I love Nick Madrigal, but he didn't have the pop. He didn't have the power. I think that is going to attract him to a lot of votes. So yeah, I'm going with Ryan Malcastle.
2: Um, I'm going to go Malcastle finishes in the top three, but does not win. Um, I think Nick or Wander Franco end up winning the award. I would say that Franco, of those two, is the odds on favorite, but we also don't know when he's going to actually get to the major leagues. Um, So I think Kalelnik, I'll go with Kalelnik as the winner, and then Mountcastle finishes somewhere in the top three.
1: Still wouldn't be a bad result. I feel like even if Franco only comes up later in the year, he doesn't have to do much to win the actual award because there's so much hype surrounding him. Mm-hmm. It's so true. that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so which players from our top thirty prospect list will graduate by the all-star break? Who goes go Zach first.
2: I'm gonna go with Bruce Zimmerman, Ryan Malcastle. Dean Kramer and uh, Keegan Aiken. I think Aiken ends up coming back up well far enough ahead of the all-star break to graduate because he actually doesn't have all that far to go. So I'm going to go with those four guys.
0: I think you're right. I think that's spot on. I would agree with that completely. But I would like to expand this question. So, Nick, when you answer yourself, maybe answer both parts. But, you know, Mountcastle Kramer, Aiken Zimmerman, I think will be no longer eligible by the all-star break. But how about towards the end, of the end of the season? How many will graduate by then? I said three more to equal seven. I think Yusniel Diaz, Ryland Bannon, and
1: Zach Lothar will be the other three. I, I had those same exact four to start out with by the All-Star break. Possibly even Jemai Jones. Depends on how quickly the Orioles want to bring him up. And it's all about the bat. And I think we'll talk about that more a little bit later on too. But I think definitely by the end of the year, I had also had Diaz uh, I put Jemai Jones by the end of the year, and then I said Zach Lothar uh, by the end of the year. Bannon probably, but with Franco in the mix, if Rio Ruiz sticks around, uh, and Urias sticks around, and Vileka is still around, I don't know. With Rylan Bannon, he didn't really stand out too much in spring, so I'm a little bit more hesitant. I'm still high on him, but at least for right now, uh, probably holding him back a little bit. But yeah, I see as many as seven, possibly more, are out of our top 30. And and if if Jemai Jones graduates before the All-Star break, we won't have a list with Jemai Jones on it because he's technically not on our list because he came he came
2: afterwards. So. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Lothar Diaz. Uh Jemai Jones, as Nick said, is technically not on the list, but I do think he will graduate this year. And I'm gonna throw a bold one in here. I'm gonna say Tyler Nevin graduates. Oh, I think you know, somewhere in there there's gonna be an opening for first kind of that corner type utility player which nevin is and i think that there's going to be an opportunity for him to come up and get at bats faster than people think and i think the fact that he's always been a guy that's had a pretty disciplined plate approach will get him to the major leagues a little bit faster so tyler nevin's kind of the bold one i'm going to go with there but then otherwise i would say jones Lothar, diaz maybe bannon um I would love to see Michael Bauman before the year is over and I think that's a possibility, but it won't be enough innings to graduate.
0: Yeah, that was my thought line with him too. And same with Wells and Kevin Smith and all those other guys. I just don't think there'll be enough innings to go around to at least, you know, get rid of them all from prospect eligibility. So the next question is will the Orioles be sellers at the trade deadline? I think that's an easy one, but we're also gonna say if so, who will be traded and maybe for what? Uh, let's go, Zach, first.
2: All right. So, as far as who's going to get traded, I think it will be Paul Fry, and what will basically be a Miguel Castro type move, where he's pitching about as well as he can, and you try to get the most for him. Pedro Severino will be traded, which will not lead to an Adley Rutschman promotion. I'm just going to end that speculation right now. It will re- lead to Brett Cumberland uh, being in the major leagues for the rest of the year. So, I'm going to go Paul Fry. Um, I had a couple of other names jotted down here, but Paul Fry, Pedro Severino, Freddie Galvis will get traded. Um, and I think that one of the third basemen, either Ruiz or Franco, more likely Franco, gets dealt. And I think Cesar Valdez gets dealt because I said that uh, back in spring training, so I'm going to stick with it.
0: And I, I meant to go into more specifics. Do you think Santander, Mancini, or Scott
1: will be traded?
2: No.
0: Okay.
1: Nick. Interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, they're going to be sellers except this year there's going to be a lot of young talent to take these guys spots. So that will be fun to watch at least. Uh, I think Severino definitely as long as he continues to hit well, I mean, he's an above league average hitter at the catching position, which is a huge surprise considering what he did when he was with the nationals. So if he continues to hit well, Say what you will about his defense, like you're right about it, whatever you say, it's bad. But uh, teams might be looking for that offensive catcher later in the year, so I think he's definitely going to get shopped. Uh, I like the Paul Fry. Uh, I had Sean Armstrong down. I think teams are always looking to add more relievers, and of course they want that high leverage reliever, but there are also a lot of these tinier deals, the Char, Sean Armstrong-type deals where he's making less than a million bucks, uh, and he's pitched really well with the Orioles since he joined the organization, so I think some team will – he won't be their primary bullpen option that they look to trade for, but uh, they'll definitely try to add him. And he can go multiple innings if you need him to. Um, uh, my bold prediction earlier was Tanner Scott gets dealt. I think that was when we had uh, Connor Newcomb on with us. Um, that I mentioned that. I think it's an if the right package comes along, you got to do it. Ten out of ten times, I'm taking that deal. Uh, you know, these relievers can blow up at any second. So, but you definitely sell very, very high on Tanner Scott for sure. So, the right package has to come along. Um, maybe Pat Valleca. Uh, I think a lot of these Pat Valleca Armstrong type deals can get made where the Orioles acquire more bonus pool money. We're not the ones trading away bonus pool money. We're the ones accumulating it now. Uh, so we can stockpile that new facility with uh, high end talent. Um, and I think honestly, maybe DJ Stewart, if he's healthy and plays well, I I'd trade him um, as to who I think pay attention to the NL East and NL central teams. Those are the teams that I marked down as, possible deal makers with the Orioles. Uh, I think a lot of teams in those two divisions are going to be contenders late in the year, and they're going to be looking to add a lot of pieces and probably pick some cheap options from the Orioles.
2: So. And I'll go ahead and just throw this in. I think the team that acquires Severino will be one that we're not expecting right now because I think catcher often is a position of need after mm-hmm. someone gets hurt. And I'm not going to make a prediction about who's going to get hurt on another team. That's just wrong. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to say that I think that – the team that acquires Severino would not be one that we would have expected coming out of spring training. It will be prompted by a sudden need.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. I had a two specifics and then a couple just where I'm not going to get too granular here, but I think Anthony Santander will be traded. I think in May or June, he'll be traded to the White Sox once they realize that Andrew Vaughn is not the answer in left field and we will get Jared Kelly plus two others in return for him. Would that be acceptable for you guys?
1: I guess it depends on how well Santander plays at the beginning of the year. I think if he comes out hot, then sure. I mean, you can, I think you can get a pretty big return for him.
2: Yeah, I, I would say the same. The One of the reasons I didn't think he was going to get moved is because we, right now he is battling a little bit of an injury and we've yet to see him really put it together over the course of a full season. So somehow I think it might end up turning into a Michael Gibbons situation where the Orioles hold on to him longer than we expect. But Then you realize in the end they actually maximize the return.
0: All right. Well, I also think, I mean, my heart says no, but my my head is saying Mancini will be traded. Nick, you're going to like this to the Los Angeles Angels for a re-Detmers plus an international <laughs> prospect. Come I on, think, <laughs> I think Tanner Scott, it'll be enticing. The offers will be enticing to move him. But no, I ultimately think they'll keep him at least for another year. And I think Matt Harvey will be traded at one point. Michael Franco will be traded and maybe one or two of the Paul Fry, Cesar Valdez,
1: Sean Armstrong group. What about, before we move on the next question, I, I made a note about this, but I didn't know if I wanted to bring it up or not. What about John Means? That's a name that I think a lot of people don't talk about possibly being traded, but if he's pitching really well and teams come calling to the Orioles move
0: him. I wrote down a hot take myself to involve John Means. Um I said he will be the first extension by Mike Elias. Okay. I think they could extend him for like a 6-year deal for I don't know specifics but just say like I don't know a reasonable amount of money for the Orioles, but also a reasonable deal for means win-win. I think he proves himself this year that he is at least a mid rotation starter on a contending team. So that's my I answer. like
2: that. I'm going to say that means I don't know if he gets extended, but I don't see him getting traded. And the only reason I say that is if the Orioles think that within the next two years, they could you know, build something resembling a contender, they probably should hold on to Means because by that point, he'll be the veteran. Um, he really kind of is a veteran now, but he'll really be the veteran at that point. And he could really be the anchor of the, of the middle of the rotation, which I do think has value. He's not an ace by any means, but if he's your number three on a contending team three years from now, that's a good outcome. And I think that's kind of what the Orioles should be striving towards. And I'm, I, I'm going to guess that's what they are going toward.
0: If he is traded, to me, I'm thinking the pathway to contention just got a little bit wider. They think it's going to take up a little bit longer, so
1: I'm hoping that's not the case. Yeah, same. I just want to throw that name out there and and see what happens. Hopefully not, though.
2: So for the next prediction, who will reach the majors first this year? Jemai Jones or Ryland Bannon? And I'll start with Nick.
1: I think it's Jones for sure. I mean, He was used a lot this spring. Sanchez is gone now. Um, he's already made his MLB debut. So and like I mentioned before, Baina didn't really stand out too much in spring. So I think Jones is a better defender also at second base. A lot of great plays uh, we saw this spring. So it's all about the bat. Does the bat come around? And if it does, then I think he could be in the big leagues pretty soon. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it'll be Jones. I think Bannon
0: is being groomed more for third base and second base. And Jones has a little more versatility where he can play infield and outfield. Plus, he already has the major league time, like like Nick had mentioned. So, yeah, I think it'll be Jones.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go with Jones as well because of the versatility. I think the fact that he can play the outfield is going to help him because, you know, let's face it, with the outfield this year, even though it's probably the area of the team that is the most set, um, we know Austin Hayes' injury history We know that Ryan Malcastle is far from a perfect left fielder. Cedric Mullins struggles against left-handers, and then even Anthony Santander's injuries a little bit. Um, I do think there is going to be a need, if nothing else, to have a quality bench option in the outfield. Um, And the fact that Jones gives you that flexibility where he can play second base, play left field, probably play a little bit of center as well, um, gets him to the majors first. But I think they're both there at some point. Yeah.
1: All right, this is an easy one. Which prospect-eligible players are going to finish with the most at-bats and the most innings pitched? We'll go, Bob.
0: Obviously, it's Ryan Mountcastle (laughs) for at-bats. And even though I think Kramer's going to be third place in rookie of the year voting, I think he's going to have less innings pitched than Bruce Zimmerman, the third starter. So.
2: I'm going to go with Mountcastle and Kramer. And I know that that's kind of the obvious uh, pick here. But I think that you know, Mountcastle is going to be in the lineup every day. And I, I think that, that pretty much clears the path for him to get the most at-bats. Zimmerman might come close to Kramer. But I think the fact that Kramer had a little bit more Major League time last year means that he might be stretched out a little bit more aggressively. So I, I'm going to stick with Kramer as a guy who throws the most innings of the prospect eligible pitchers.
1: Yeah, I think Ryan Mountcastle's a given there. Uh, I think he's the only hitter on the active roster with prospect status. So uh, and I said Kramer for innings pitched I must have completely blanked about Bruce Zimmerman when thinking about this question because now that would have been my answer, I think. But <laughs> um yeah I said between Kramer and Aiken, I don't think Aiken stays down very long, but when he does come back up uh, thinking about like length in games, I think Dean Kramer is more suited to work out of jams and work deeper into outings. So that's why I kind of gave Kramer the nod there and he's pitched. All right. Well, the next
0: question we're going on the offense, we did this last year and I picked real Ruiz and regretted it a couple weeks into the season. It was looking good in the beginning who will lead the team in home runs and
1: how many will they have? Let's go with Nick. Chris Davis. No, I'm, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm stuck between Melcastle and Mancini. Uh Mancini is healthy, he's, he's shown us that, but he did just sit out for a full year you know, the biggest battle of his life. He, he just overcame and won. Um, but I'm anxious to see how his body holds up once we get into like later in the summer. Uh, and with Mount Castle, the books out on him a little bit. MLB pitchers have some film on him so they can adjust. How well is he going to adjust to them? Uh, I think the ball is is not going to be deadened. I don't I don't know what the update is there. Uh, so I guess we're still going to see a lot of home runs. But I, I got a low number. I'm going to say Ryan Mountcastle with 29.
2: I'm going to go um, Mountcastle, but I'm going to go with 32. I think, he gets, I think he crosses the 30-homer threshold. I don't think uh, Mancini and Santander will be very far behind. And, in fact, I would not be surprised if all three end up at 30 homers. Uh, but I think they're going to come close to Mountcastle, but I think he gets over 30.
0: All right. I did a top five, so I'll just count them up. I put fifth place Michael Franco with 23 home runs. Anthony Santander, number four, with 27. Austin Hayes with 29 in third place. Trey Mancini with 31. And Ryan Mountcastle, once again, 33 home runs. That's
2: a lot of
1: home runs in Camden Yards. Always. It will happen.
2: <laughs> so, for the next prediction here, and it's going to be is this a three true outcomes team? I'm wondering that, but that might be a discussion for another. So, who will be the most surprising player to play in a game? I'm going to start with Bob here.
0: You kind of mentioned him earlier in the show. I think it's going to be Brett Cumberland. I think, like you said, if one of Cisco or Severino either has to go on an IEL stint or gets traded, I think Nick Schufo is an option to come up at one point. And I think Brett Cumberland is also an option. And I just think no, not many people are, have that name on their bingo card as to
1: who they're going to expect to see in 2021. I've got a deeper name and I get to use his Basically. name on the podcast. <laughs> this is the reason why I'm excited to do this podcast once minor league baseball finally starts as well. Uh, but I'm going to drop the name Tyler Irwin, uh, 26 year old lefty out of New Mexico state. I brought the numbers. Uh, so for a lot of you who don't follow minor league relievers as much as I do, um, he steadily moved up through the organization since he was a 23rd round draft pick back in 2016, 2017. Uh, But in 2018, he appeared in 50 games at Frederick, and he had a 2.36 FIP and a 30% strikeout rate. In 2019, he went up to Bowie, was in 36 games, had a 2.63 FIP and a 20% strikeout rate. So strikeouts dropped, but he's a ground ball pitcher, about 50% for his career, good numbers. Uh, He's got 180 career minor league innings with the Orioles. He's a left-handed reliever. He's only given up three home runs. Only one of those home runs was in 68 innings at Frederick, which – as we know, when, when the Orioles had an affiliate there many, many moons ago, uh, it was a pretty home-run friendly park. So I think that's really impressive. He's also just fun to watch. He has a bit of funky, weird delivery that makes him stand out. So I think he's going to eventually get a call-up this year. And I say he's going to be my most surprising player to appear in an Orioles uniform this year. Not Zach Muckenhern? I think he will too, but I, I am a much
2: bigger Tyler Irwin fan for sure. That's fair. Well, Bob, you actually just said my pick, Zach Muckin. Oh, I think I think a bad. lefty that can get uh, those types of strikeouts uh, out of the bullpen is someone the Orioles are going to go to, especially because we've already touched on. Uh, we think the bullpen is going to be an area that the team does trade from. Um, so even if he's not up by the all-star break, I still think Muckin gets a run of at least a month, maybe two at the end of the year. And I'm not going to full-on commit to it, but I also would not be shocked if somehow Kevin Smith worked his way onto the roster in September for an outing or two. But I'm going to go with Muck and Hearn my prediction here.
0: Nice.
1: Alrighty. So talking about prospect pitching, uh, what is going to be the biggest Orioles prospect storyline of this season? We can go Bob first.
0: I think it's going to be Neil Diaz. Um, I think he's going to earn his way up, he's going to put in some good work at the alternate site he's going to start off May, Monster Monster Month at AAA Norfolk, earn his way up I think by the end of June everyone's going to be fine with the idea of trading Anthony Santander and Eric Longing Hagen is going to be begging for our forgiveness, Alex Fast is going to add him to his fantasy team so this jersey purchase will
2: pay off (laughs) So for prospect storyline, can we say prospect storyline other than uh, speculate about whether or not Adley Russman's is going to come up to the major leagues this year? Because I'm sure that that is going to be a storyline. But I think the storyline will be the effectiveness of the rotations at Norfolk and Bowie. Um, I think Norfolk is going to have a pretty promising staff. Um, if Alexander Wells is healthy, I expect him to pitch well there. Zach Lothar, I think, is going to have a really big year. Um, Michael Ballman, again, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be good to go. And then if you have Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall at Bowie at some point this year, which is the expectation that you're going to have them both in the rotation, if not for all of the 2021 season, then for at least part of it, um, Bowie and Norfolk are going to have good rotations. So I think it's going to be the effectiveness of the starters at the higher levels of the minors good answer yeah
1: of course adley but yeah we we are not that kind of podcast we we dig deep in the real stories here um i'm going pitching too it's the biggest storyline i shout out to chris stoner at Life.com. he called him the group of seven uh, on the board the other day there's real hype surrounding grayson rodriguez and you know jim Callis has called him underrated the most underrated pitching prospect uh, and he's ranked 27th on their list so i think that speaks volumes about what the industry thinks about grayson rodriguez you also have Deal Hall sitting right there, but you know the the range of outcomes when it comes to Deal Hall are much more wide. So we'll have to see what goes on this year. It's a big year for him, but this group of seven—the Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer, Michael Bauman, Alex Denter Wells, Kevin Smith, Zach Lothar, and Bruce Zimmerman—I think I want to see at least one of those guys step up and say this rotation spot is mine, and I'm not giving it up. Uh, and I want to see at least one more of those guys step up and say I'm a big leader. like I can hold my own whether it's in the rotation or bullpen, maybe we can figure that out next year. But for right now, I'm a major league pitcher um, just because I think the same mean sticks around. Hopefully you combine that with a Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, and then you combine that with one of those group of seven guys. You've got three guys right there. you bring in a frontline free agent in two years, another year. So that's your four, four out of five and your starting rotation is set. And I think that's a really, really good rotation. And now you need one more starter out of this massive pool of pitchers that the Orioles have now. Um, plus, you know, Jack Leiter when he falls to five uh, because we start spreading the Jack Leiter isn't that good rumors if we can get that going immediately because he's unhittable, literally. Um, But, yeah, I think it's that group of seven guys. I want to say it's the first big wave of pitching prospects, and especially for Orioles fans when it comes to pitching prospects, I want to see someone really step up and take control this year.
0: Yeah, so the next time – Jack later gives up a hit, so maybe like I don't know, late April, <laughs> we can start saying he's not that good. Just keep right. that hype. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do we think Chris Davis is going to survive the season on the Orioles roster on their payroll, Zach?
2: On their payroll, yes, because I think he's on pay- the payroll to like 2075 okay. or something like that. Yeah, I don't I don't remember how long that contract is deferred out. Let me say – uh, It's deferred out there pretty far. I'm going to say that no, he does not. On their roster. Is he's he actually, not going to survive the season he- on the roster. Yeah, because he either will not be on the roster because they've moved on or he will not be on the roster because he's on the 60-day injured list. And I think I also got to stay a little bit consistent here with my prediction earlier about Tyler Nevin. If you're giving it back to Chris Davis, there's really not a path forward for Tyler Nevin, but I think that Davis not being around is one of the things that's going to open the door for Nevin to get some playing time this summer.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say no as well. Look, there's we are reaching the fingers crossed, knock on wood, uh, end of this last year-long plus pandemic. Uh, Opening day is just hours away when we're recording this, so I'm feeling great, and I don't want to worry about Chris Davis anymore. No. You and me both. But I think
0: he will survive the season, but I don't think he will ever come off the 60-day IL, and then he will be finally, mercifully (laughs) released in the offseason.
2: So on that note, does Rio Ruiz survive the season? I'll start with Nick on this one.
1: Same answer. No. No. Not with Jemai Jones or Ryland Bannon there. Even if Franco's the guy you're looking to trade down the road, I don't think Rio Ruiz sticks around. I had high hopes for him last year, for sure. And then he just kind of really fell off. And it really wasn't even the bat that made me back off Rio Ruiz. It was the glove. Um, Just a lot of basic miscues, I think. And I I hate saying that because I can't make those plays. I can't make the most routine play on a major league baseball field. But Rio Ruiz should be able to make those plays. A lot of those plays he did not make last year at third base. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to say no. I agree. Um,
0: I love the hair last year. I love that walk-off and run he hit against Houston that one time. But unfortunately, I don't even think he makes it to June. I don't even think he makes two full months on the Orioles. So, no.
2: Uh, make that a sweep here. I'm going to say no as well. Um, even though I think that you know the opening at second base might give him some new hope, I just still think that between his streakiness at the plate Uh, some of the questions about his defense and the improving depth at the top of the system. I I just don't see how he makes it on the roster the full year. So I'm going to say no.
1: Nice. So let's pick the mood up and say who is the 2021 Orioles MVO, most valuable Oriole. Go Bob. Well,
0: (laughs) Austin Hayes, maybe he's going to, Pick up the slack from, uh, I mean, pick, keep it going from spring training all the way into the season. He's going to stay healthy. He might miss a couple days. You know, they're going to give him days off this year, but he plays 150 games, and he, like I said, he has 29 home runs. He plays great defense and center and right and all over the outfield, and I think he's going to hit for average, for power. He's kind of an underrated five-tool guy. So, yeah, I think Austin Hay is going to break out in a big way this year when we thought last year might be the year. It's going to come a year later.
2: I absolutely love that pick and I'm tempted to steal it, but I'm going to stick with my original prediction and go with Trey Mancini. Um, I said earlier that I think that Mountcastle will hit more home runs, but I think Mancini is going to have a more complete year at the plate than Mountcastle will. In other words, get on base more, hit for a higher average. Um, He's going to play a good first base. I think he's really going to settle in now that he doesn't have to bounce back and forth between first base and the corner outfield spots. And, you know, above all else, I think we're just happy to see him healthy and back on the field, but I think he's going to come back in good form, and it's going to be a great story. So Trey Mancini for most valuable Oriole.
1: I also said Austin Hayes. I mean, I'm going to keep the hype train going. Um, his defense, I think, is what makes him stand out just a little bit more. Uh, he showed us that this spring he can play all three outfield spots. He showed off the cannon in right field, uh, when he had like 2 putouts in that one game. Uh, he three was my home pick. bases. Yeah, I mean, just – yeah, as long as you wear the oven mitt, please, because I don't want another one of those injuries. Um, you know, he was my pick as the spring standout, so I'm going to keep this going. Uh, I was also on another podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, shout out to uh, Christian Rao. Uh, he's at the High Heat podcast, and he just finished up 30 team previews in 30 days. And I jumped on to do the Orioles team preview, and he asked for a bold prediction from me, and I said Austin Hayes was the all-star rep this year for the Orioles. Although I think if, if Mancini is having even just a, a solid – decent year. Of course, Major League Baseball, the Orioles, baseball fans across the country are going to vote him in, rightfully so. But I think Austin Hayes also has a shot to be the all-star rep this year. So I'm going to keep the hype train going and keep those good vibes, push them out towards Austin Hayes. Hot take, the Orioles will have three all-star
0: game representatives. Ooh.
2: Let's go ahead and add that in as a prediction category <laughs> right now. I mean, I don't, let's go ahead and add it in because I want to hear your three. I will say Trey Mancini. I will
0: agree, Austin Hayes. I actually think Ryan McHouse was going to miss out, and I think we're going to have a pitcher. I'm um, between John Means and Tanner Scott. I'll say Tanner Scott. I think, you know, he's touching 100 miles an hour. I think he's just going to have a dominant first half and sneak on there.
1: Yeah, I think either Hayes or Mancini for sure, and then probably a reliever. If, they, if a reliever really steps up this year for the Orioles, I think he gets thrown in on the roster. How awesome would Cesar Valdez at the All-Star game be? All right, let's, I'm for it.
2: Let's do it. Let's start that hype train to Jack Leiter. It's a very good <laughs> hype train right now on this show. Um, I want to watch <laughs> Dead Fist in the All-Star game. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Scott, Mancini, and Mountcastle. Um, I think that Hayes is going to be the big snub, but outfield is tough to make, and I think that yeah. the home run total is somehow going to give Mountcastle an edge. So I'm going to go yeah. Mountcastle, Mancini, Scott.
0: Why not all four?
2: Yeah. It'd be great. <laughs> all right. So
0: we did. Oh, go ahead, Nick.
1: I was going to say, is Mike Trout really that good? Like, is yeah, he a lot off again? Yeah.
0: His defense <laughs> is finally slipping. <laughs> uh, we talked about MVP. Now let's talk
1: about the next one. Uh,
0: Orioles Cy Young. Anything interesting here? Let's go with uh,
1: Nick first. Yeah. I mean, so John Means, I think, is the obvious answer. So I'm going to avoid John Means for my answer, and I'm going to say that Dark Horse is Bruce Zimmerman. This is my, my high praise for him that I referenced at the beginning of the show. Uh, maybe I'm buying too much into the spring hype, but he pitched really, really well, and he's a local kid, and I think he deserves this opportunity. Um, you know, whether he sticks in the bullpen or stays in the rotation, I don't know right now, but we'll see how the season plays out. I think you can kind of throw away a, a set rotation – Uh, for the Orioles this year out the window, it's, it's going to be just piecemeal week by week, but um, other than maybe John means for sure every five days, but yeah, I think however this shakes out, however Brandon Hyde uses his pitchers. I think Bruce Zimmerman is kind of a wild card that Brandon Hyde knows that he can use Zimmerman in multiple different scenarios and he's always going to be there hopefully this year. And so I think that's going to put him, I'm not going to say he's going to win Orioles Cy Young unofficially award, I'm gonna say it's def- probably gonna be John Means, but the dark horse is gonna be Bruce Zimmerman.
2: I'm gonna go with Means for one of the reasons that Nick just mentioned, which is the fact that I think he's really the guy in the rotation right now. You can count on and take the ball every five days and give you decent numbers. He's gonna keep the Orioles in games. I, you know, I'm not just saying that because you know I think he's gonna be just okay. I think he's gonna have a good year, but I think it's also the fact that he's gonna be out there every five days. He'll probably lead the team in most major pitching categories. Um, he's probably going to be one of the few, if not the only starter, that I think really gives you enough innings that you look at his season at the end of the year and think, okay, the bullpen was not taxed when that guy pitched. So I think that Means is going to be the, the, probably the best pitcher overall in the rotation and certainly the most consistent. So I'm going to go with him here.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a boring pick, but I think it's the right one. Um, I'm pretty bullish on John Means' ability to be – at least a three or four starter on uh, the next Orioles contending team. I think he's going to split the difference between 2019 and 2020 and kind of find that that nice mix between the improved velocity and finding that change up again and trying to snag that command that he had in 2019. So I think John means is going to just have a great year. I think he's, he's really going to do it this year.
2: So who will win Orioles Rookie of the Year? And I'm not sure who wrote this question because there's a note in here that says to not pick Mountcastle to make it interesting. So other than Mountcastle, who will win Orioles Rookie of the Year? And Bob is raising his hand. So he wrote this question. I'll let him start with it.
0: Yeah, I just, I mean, he <laughs> barely is even rookie eligible. He crushed the ball last year. It just seems pretty obvious. And maybe if you if you think he wouldn't win it anyway, say that. But to me, I went with Dean Kramer. I know his numbers in the spring weren't that great, but I still – I just like that new cutter. I think he was really just working on it all spring, and I think it looks pretty good. So I think once the season starts, hopefully he'll be able to put it together a little bit, stay in the rotation all year, and and just put up some pretty good numbers.
1: I like that. Um, so if we're not picking Mount Castle, I'm going to go with Jemai Jones. Uh, like I mentioned before, it's about the bat, though. If you look at his 2019 numbers in AA – he was uh, hit. He only hit 234 with a 308 on base percentage and a WRC plus of 86. So well below league average. Um, even in the stolen base department, I saw that he only stole nine bases and was caught 11 times in 2019. The year before that, in 2018, in high end double A, and AA, he was 24 for 28 stolen bases. So I don't watch a lot of Angels minor league baseball. So I'm not sure what happened there. But um, you know, every report that we read about Jamai Jones once he came over in that trade was that the constant tinkering and his swing. So I think maybe if it seems like he found something that worked last year, if the Orioles can tap into that and the bat comes around, I think he has every opportunity to succeed with the Orioles. So um, you know, I'm going to shy away from the pitchers here and go dark horse Canada's Jamai Jones.
2: Yeah, Dean Kramer is the obvious pick, and I think I will go with him. I think that, you know, kind of what I talked about earlier with Means sort of being the guy you look at long range as sort of being the anchor in the middle of the rotation. I think Kramer's going to emerge as another pitcher in that mold as well this year. But if I wanted to take this a step further, I'd throw you Sneel Diaz in there. Um, I think that when he does get to the majors this year, as long as he is healthy, people are just going to be surprised by the overall athleticism. And I think that he'll hold his own in one of the outfield corners, gives you good on-base numbers. We'll see the power come along a little bit with the move to the majors uh, and the move to Candom Yards, especially in the summer. So I think Diaz is going to be better than what people are expecting, but I'm going to go with Kramer.
1: I like that. Um, so who's going to be said the most surprising or to appear in a game, but who's going to have the most surprising performance this year? We'll start with Zach this time.
2: Um, I think I just kind of touched on it with uh, Diaz a little bit. I think he will have a surprising year just because I think that we've sort of kind of taken him for granted a little bit. And it is a little bit of a challenge right now to look and see where he's going to fit on this roster. But I think that he'll come up um, somewhere, maybe by July 1st. And I think he'll manage to find at bats, probably bouncing back and forth between the two outfield corners in DH. He'll put up better power numbers than what people are expecting. Um, and the defense overall, you know, there's some mixed reviews out there on it, but the arm is good and you're going to get to see a really good arm from left field to right field when he's out there. So I, I'm going to say Diaz is most surprising.
0: All right. I went with Freddie Galvis, who I think is just a guy who he's kind of just flying under the radar. I think Orioles fans. I mean, not like they really had a chance to watch much spring training, but you don't really hear much about him from the reporting. He's just steady Eddie out there, shortstop. He's actually I think he took a few walks, but I think a lot of Oriole fans are still kind of pissed that Jose Iglesias is gone. But I think once they see Freddie and how solid he is up the middle, that that uh, they will be pleasantly surprised. And I even wrote down that he would be sixth place with 21 home runs
1: yeah and i think i think it'll be fun because him and michael franco are friends and they've been friends for a very long time i think they had Galvis on one of the spring broadcasts and mentioned like they've known each other since they came to the states so that, that'll be fun to watch freddie Galvis. i'm excited to watch him i'm not going to lie but um i'm going to go with a name here that i you can like take my mic away and just Tweeted me that I should just stop podcasting. I'm going to say Jorge Lopez uh, for this. So, um, and I'm going to use spring training stats to justify this. So, uh, this greatest. so um, <laughs> it's, it's fine. Uh, it's spring training. Everybody's O and o right now, and I feel great. Um, but I think looking at some of the numbers though, Jorge Lopez did have, going back to baseball reference, an 8.2 opponent quality in spring training, which is. Triple A, basically, but he had he faced the toughest competition. He faced more, tougher competition than John Means, Dean Kramer, Aiken, all those guys, uh, and he pitched really well. So I think what seventeen he struck out seventeen guys across nineteen innings at a two point seven five ERA. And against Tampa Bay and New York, he had eight scoreless innings where he struck out eight against two division rivals. And I know it's spring training; they're all spring training numbers, but. Something's going on around the league this year that spring training performances really did matter with a lot of these rookies making ball clubs. Uh, and I've seen that comment made a, a few other places over the last couple of days. Uh, spring training really did seem to matter this year. Uh, and so I f- now fully expect Jorge Lopez to give up 11 runs in two innings in his first start. But for now, I have a semi hype train for Jorge Lopez. This is
0: definitely the Cody Carroll of 2021. Yep. <laughs>
1: that's bad. no
0: i would love to see it i would love to see it all right so i think uh the counterpoint to most surprising would be most disappointing who is going to uh not be so good and disappoint i don't know how many different ways you can say disappoint but zach
2: um i don't think what we saw with the bat last year pat valake is going to carry over and i know that that's a relative term when you're talking about a bench player but i Somehow I get the sense that Voleka is going to get squeezed out as the year goes on just because of the uh, number of players at the higher levels of the minors. Um, I just don't think the offensive production we saw in the sort season last year is going to carry itself over and he doesn't have the glove at any of the positions he plays to hang in there. So I'm going to go with Voleka. Yeah,
1: I'm sticking with my preseason pick. I'm going to say DJ Stewart. I think he has to fight for at-bats. He's not going to be a regular in this lineup. There's really no path for him to be a regular in this lineup, barring you know significant injuries, which hopefully there's none, obviously. But we've talked about it before, I think, that he just needed to be in the lineup to have regular at-bats to prove himself, and he's not going to get that opportunity this year. So I think this may be happy trails for DJ Stewart.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised about that. But I'm going to go with Pedro Severino, actually, as biggest disappointment. I know he had a great first half of 2020, but, man, he really tailed off at the second half of that season in August, or was it September? And he didn't exactly light the world on fire in spring training. I don't know. And just the catchers in general, I think I think Cisco and Severino had a pretty good year last year, but I think something's going to happen where Severino is going to perform bad enough that we – are not able to trade him. And I think we're going to be licking our chops for Adley Rutschman. So it's going to be good timing for 2022. And I guess I, I have the next category as well, and that's world series picks. So talking major league baseball as a, as a whole, we're taking over the warehouse territory now
1: talking about baseball in general. And let's go with Nick. All right. So I'm going to go with Tampa Bay and Atlanta. Uh, with Atlanta winning. Um, I'm not too excited, honestly, about many American league teams, Minnesota. I definitely am, but I went with Minnesota last year as my pick. And we know that if they get matched up with the Yankees in the first round of the playoffs, that they're not going to advance. So I am hesitant to pick Minnesota, but I want to say Atlanta over Tampa Bay, but my heart really wants Minnesota versus San Diego. And I want seven games, each game, like five, six hours long. That's what I really want. But, I
2: don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Twins are going to end their postseason struggles in a big way, and they will get to the World Series this year, but lose to your back-to-back World Series champion, Los Angeles Dodgers.
0: All right, well, I have the Dodgers winning the NL West, but I have the Padres coming out of the National League and beating the Yankees to win the World Series. Manny Machado gets his World Series ring. And that is a fun team to watch in a fun future. You know, you'd love to see the Yankees lose and you love to see a fun team like the Padres win. So from my lips to whoever you believe in's ears.
2: So now we'll predict the order of the AL East, starting with Bob.
0: Obviously, I think you got to go Yankees one. I think the Tampa Bay Rays are being underrated. I mean, I know they traded Snell and a bunch of guys, but they just have a way of just making that factory of pitching and they still have – Plenty of talent over there and one of the deepest farm systems you'll ever see. So I think they'll get a wild card second place. I think Toronto Blue Jays have improved, but I don't think they've improved quite enough just yet. So they'll be third. Red Sox fourth, but just barely over our O's, who will be 72 and 90 in fifth place, which is a big improvement for us from 2019. And I mean, last year doesn't really count. I think the Red Sox will only be a couple games ahead of us.
1: I'm going Tampa Bay one, New York two, then Boston, then Toronto, then Baltimore. Uh, I think Blue Jays are definitely the hype pick, but they just don't have any pitching behind Ryu. Kirby Yates went on. He's having Tommy John Johnson. He's out for the year. I saw George Springer and one of their pitchers, I, I think it was Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray or Ross Stripling, one of them is also starting the year in the I.L., um, Boston's got some bounce-back candidates in their lineup. I like J.D. Martinez as possible bounce-back candidate. Hunter Renfro could rake in the AL East. I watched him nearly hit hit the warehouse at Baltimore. That was the last time I was actually at Camden Yards uh, when the Padres came to town. Um, French Cordero is fun whenever he's healthy, but he's, he's never been healthy, so we'll see what happens there. But I'm a, kind of a secret fan of Boston's rotation, uh, but I think that the Orioles – because we are an Orioles podcast, I do think that the Orioles can potentially leapfrog the Blue Jays, is my kind of semi-bold prediction here, uh, if the pitching for Baltimore and my guy Jorge Lopez clicks. We'll
2: see. So um, extreme, almost extreme ends of the uh, forecast here for the Blue Jays. I'm going to go the Yankees winning the division. Uh, The Blue Jays in second. The Rays make a late run in third but fall short because they wait too long to promote Wander Franco and then the Red Sox fourth and the Orioles fifth. Like Bob said, I don't think the gap between the Red Sox and the Orioles is going to be all that big. And then for Toronto, um, I've been high on him since I saw him play in person as a rookie in 2019. I think Bill Bissett's going to have a big year, and I think that he'll be an MVP consideration. And even as Nick said, Toronto's pitching. I don't think it's playoff caliber, but I think that lineup – is going to hit and set's going to be the guy that really moves it along. So Toronto ends up getting a wild card spot and finishes second in the AL East. Let's see,
1: and it all starts tomorrow. Oh my god, let's go! So let's end this here with a last little lightning round. Um, I pulled all these are from fangrass projections. This is where all these numbers come from. I got five hitting stats and five pitching stats, and we're just going to say over or under each of these marks. So. Start with Trey Mancini at 25 home runs, over or under? Over. I say over as well. 31. Yeah, yeah. I'm going over as well, just over. Um, Anthony Santander is projected to lead the team with 29 home runs, over or under 29 for Santander.
0: Let's keep the same order throughout.
2: I'm gonna say over. I think we lost Bob there. Ooh, can oh. you not hear me? Oh no, you're good now.
0: Okay, I'll say under, but barely.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna say under. You got to show me you can play a full season first. Um, Ryan Mountcastle, 26 walks, over or under?
2: Go Zach. I'm going to go over here. I I just don't know. Like if we're talking about him as a rookie of the year candidate, I don't know how he could be in the mix for that. If his walk total is lower than 26.
0: Uh, I think it's a good number actually, just looking at his minor league stats, but I I think he'll be over
1: around somewhere around 30. Yeah, I'm going over as well. I'm going to say 40 just because Uh, mark that Uh, Austin Hayes, 121 games played. You
0: can't be MVP without going over. So we're going over.
2: Over.
1: Yeah, I'm praying that it is over as well. Um, Fangraphs has not a single Oriole player being worth two wins above replacement or higher. Anthony Santander is at 1.9. He's the highest. So over under one position player being worth more than two F4 this year. That's
0: ridiculous. It's over. We're going to have at least four.
1: Yeah, it's over. Definitely over, especially if, yeah, I I don't get that. Uh, (laughs) To the pitching side, John Means, a 4.90 ERA. Under. More like 3.90.
2: Yeah, I'm with Bob on that one under.
1: Yeah, I'm going under. I think the ERA might be a little inflated, but I think that FIP is going to look pretty nice for John Means. Uh, Dean Kramer, .5 F4. Over or under?
0: I'll, I'll go a little bit over.
2: Yeah, I'll go over too. I, I had to stop and think about that one for a minute, but I think he will go over. Yeah,
1: I think I think he'll be around one more player this year, if everything goes right, I think. Uh, Keegan Aiken at a 5.0 ERA.
2: Hmm. Um, under.
0: I will say under, but it's going to be close, and I think it's because he might get some time in the bullpen, which will kind of get him there, get him across the finish line.
1: I'm going to say over. I see like 5-5. Five, five. Uh, hopefully not, though. Uh, Matt Harvey, 18 starts with the Orioles this year. Under. I'll say under 18 game started
0: for the Orioles, but he'll be over 18 overall at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I'm going under as well. I don't know how long that magic lasts. Uh, last one: Tanner Scott and Cesar Valdez are both have six saves as the highest mark among the Orioles. So over under six saves for those guys.
0: Say over for Scott, under for Valdez.
2: Um, over for Scott and over for Valdez, but Valdez won't finish much higher than that before he's traded.
1: I'm going over with both and lots and lots of strikeouts from both.
2: Well, we'll see how our predictions uh, shape up here over the coming months. So I'll start with Bob, any final thoughts on the predictions and what you're excited about for this season?
0: I'm just excited for baseball to start officially. It's going to be amazing to have the beginning of a entire full season I just watched Godzilla vs Kong today after work. And it's going to be like the Orioles are Kong. The Yankees are Godzilla. Let's go. We can take them.
1: Yeah, this is definitely exciting. Like it's real. It's really happening. I'm starting to get super excited for tomorrow. Uh, luckily, normally I take the day off work, but since I'm working from home, I don't have to do that. Uh Hopefully the rain holds off in Boston tomorrow, but other than the Orioles, I mean, tomorrow is just a great day. I mean, you can watch Garrett Cole, Ryu, Shane Bieber, uh, Hendricks, Max Freed, Kinto Maeda. I mean, we get to watch all these guys on the same day. So MLB TV is going to be fired up and running all day, all night long tomorrow.
2: Yeah, I, I'm excited about getting the season started, and I think that although the Orioles you know, probably are looking in the last place finish, I think this is going to be a year where fans – can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel with the rebuild. I think we're going to see a lot of promising results from some of these younger players that are going to be part of the core, hopefully the next contending team here in Baltimore, put up promising results. So uh, will the standings look great? No, but I don't think that's going to tell the full story in 2021. So to follow along this season, uh, please visit baltimoresportsandlife.com. sports and We will have you covered with a lot of Orioles talk from Bob, Nick and myself. And, The team of Orioles analysts that are there, be sure to hop on the message board to discuss the Orioles, um, as well as the Ravens and the Terps and uh, some other sports-related news. In addition, you can follow us on Twitter, at BSL on the Birds, where we'll have coverage all season long, in addition to our weekly podcast. And thank you to Birdland tonight for letting us do the takeover for our live show. But don't forget, you can still listen to our show later as a podcast. So. Thank you for those who watched tonight, and we're going to really enjoy this season uh, bringing you the news. So, for Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan, this is Zach Spedden, and you've been listening to On the Verge. And don't fr- You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks, that's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel.